this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series on Haggai, and we're going to uh, move into Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 through 29 specifically. And I want you to remember, do you remember the uh, fort that I was telling you about that I built? Right? Uh, the bamboo fort I was telling you about. So this bamboo fort, um, we spent time building this thing up. And the crazy thing is it probably took two months to build it, yet it was destroyed within like hours. And it's things like that that like you can build skyscrapers and in a moment they can be destroyed. We all remember the emotional impact of 9-11. You can build buildings and they demolish it in a moment and all of a sudden it's turned into rubble and you're like, and they rebuild something else there. Things that took crazy amounts of time to build are done in seconds. Even relationships can be built for years and years and can be ended in moments. Lives taken in a moment that we didn't know was going to happen. It's, it's amazing to see how things can be built up for so long and then all of a sudden gone in a moment. And a lot of times, I don't know if you're like me, you're like, there's no warning for these things, right? It's like, I didn't know this was going to happen. If you knew it was going to happen, maybe you would protect it. If you knew it was going to happen, maybe you would have cherished it a little bit more. If you knew it was going to happen, maybe you would have walked alongside that person or maybe you would have tried a little bit harder to renew that relationship. Maybe there was something that was coming that you didn't know was about to happen and then when it happened, you weren't ready for it. This morning, I want to show you in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 through 29, that God gives us a warning before destruction. God gives us a warning before destruction so that we know what's coming and we can prepare for it. I want you to see that in God's grace, he calls us to not fear in an unhealthy way what will happen, but rather to have confidence in what will happen. We have a fear and a reverence to what can happen, but we do not fear what will happen. The reason is because this, it's similar to like the flood. It's like God can flood the whole earth, but we know that God will save us for eternity. It causes hope and confidence in our life, and it causes us honestly to live different today because of what we believe for tomorrow. You see, we have a warning for tomorrow. We have a warning about the destruction that is coming, and it should change the way that we live today. I want you to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 through 29 with me. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And you may remember from uh, Haggai chapter 2, as we've been walking through, that God would shake the earth and shake heaven and shake the nations, shaking the dry sea and the ground, uh, the ground and the sea. So as God's shaking all these things, I want to show you what he's shaking because uh, um, Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 11 shows us that God has given us a warning to what is coming. And so as we see what God is shaking, what God is, what God is purifying, what God is destroying, we can remember that there is a warning before the destruction comes. 
And so I want to show you in Hebrews chapter 8 and 11 that God gave Moses and Noah a warning before they experienced the destruction. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 says, these serve, uh, these serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 says, By faith Noah, after he was warned about what, God, uh, what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You see that? By godly fear, Moses was warned, Noah was warned, and we have been warned. Haggai chapters 1 and 2 have shown us already that God would shake things up, that God would wake nations up, that God would change things to accomplish his plan, that there's something coming that God is going to do. And as we see these warnings, I want you to think about this. What is God warning the people about? In, in uh, Hebrews chapter 8, he says, as Moses was warned when he was com- about to complete the tabernacle, In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says that he built an ark to deliver his family. That was what the warning was centered around. Build this ark because there's destruction coming, right? And in both cases, it's about building something. It's about building up something for salvation, for the presence of God, specifically to dwell with his people and maintain and save them. So think about the tabernacle in the temple. Because right in Haggai chapter 2, what is God doing? We've been walking through Haggai. What is God doing in Haggai chapter 2? He's encouraging the people to build a temple, right? Why? So that God's presence would dwell in the temple among the people, that they may worship him there and that he may live among their presence and uh, may bless them and protect them, right? So God is building a temple in Haggai chapter 2. He's building the tabernacle as we see in Hebrews chapter 8. He was building an ark to protect the people for him to dwell with his people, in Hebrews chapter 11. And it starts to make more sense what God is doing here. Have you ever thought about this? If God cares about every single detail in the tabernacle and the temple, so much so that he would warn them, like, make sure you obey these instructions that I've given you on the mountain. In, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, the beginning portion of this, uh, verses 8 through uh, 27, he's warning them, like, don't uh, uh, d- don't like reject what God's telling you. Don't stop listening to God about what he's building and all these different things. Why did God care so much about how they built the temple and the tabernacle and the ark? You start to understand, it's like, oh, because his presence would dwell there. Because he cares about where his presence dwells. Because he values where his presence dwells. And then you come to the New Testament, and you're like, that's why God cares so much about you. That's why God cares about how you act, what you say, what you do, who you are, where you go. That's why God cares so much about us is because his presence is in us and now we're the new temple and all of a sudden it starts to make sense. It's like, okay, he cares about us intimately. He cares about everything, single thing about us, all the details about us and who we are and what we say and what we do. He cares about those things. And you start to understand, my God cares about each one of you in this room. You may have walked in here this morning like, I'm just here. Another Sunday. Got to dress up. Got to come. Got to wake up pretty early. 
could just take this day off, spend it at home, spend it with friends. But I gotta come to church today. But did you know that when you walked in this room, did you know that when you were filled in this room, that the presence of God would be in this place? Did you know that God, as he's moving in your life, he doesn't just wanna invade your life, he cares about you. Like he, care, he cares about each one of you, where you are and what you're doing. God cares about you. And so he gives us a warning because the destruction is coming. He gives us a warning because the destruction is coming. And in fact, you can see throughout Scripture that God shook the earth multiple times. Exodus 19, verse 18. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 and verse 9. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 6. We see it consistently throughout Scripture. Amos, Isaiah, God is shaking the world. Why? What does it even mean? Because did you know that in Hebrews chapter 12, um, right before 28 and 29, he quotes Haggai. And we've been walking through Haggai, right? He quotes Haggai to say that God's going to shake the nations. God's going to shake the heavens. Why is God going to shake those things? What does that mean? Well, we know that shaking literally means something like the earthquake, the physical earthquake that they experienced. We know that Moses experienced the shaking of the mountain as he received the word from the Lord on how to build the tabernacle and how to live in God's presence. He, God shook the mountain. God made it where animals couldn't even touch it, where people couldn't climb up it. He would only speak to Moses. He made it very special and intimate in these moments. And all of a sudden, you're like, okay, God's shaking things up. God's changing things. What is he doing in the future? And Hebrews tells us that he's going to be uh, shaking up the nations and shaking up the things. What does that mean? Well, it means created things will be destroyed and eternal things will remain. Now that can, in this moment, that can create fear, unhealthy, ungodly fear in your life, or it can create godly fear, reverence, and awe in your life. You could maybe sitting right here, right now, be like, Matt, I'm not ready for God to destroy created things and for eternal things to live on. I want to cling to the things of this world. I need the things of this world. Like I'm addicted to the things of this world. Like they are my gods. I've created them up in my life. I need those. I don't want to let go of things in this world and move on to eternity because I love the things of this world. Or maybe you're sitting here today like, man, if God's destroying all the created things that are not by faith coming to him, and through his grace, finding salvation for eternity with him and his eternal presence with him. If like, maybe you, you feel like you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ and not gonna live with him forever. You're like, man, I'm not ready for God to destroy things because I think God, I'm gonna be part of that destruction. You might be sitting here today wondering like, where, where is, where, I don't know where I'm going, Matt. So you might be going, man, that's, that's fear for me, Matt. That's, that's ungodly fear for me because I fear where I'm going. Look, I hope that as you, when you walk away today, I hope that you have awe and reverence for what God can do, and yet awe and reverence for what God will do. Grace and mercy being poured out on you, you can go, I understand what God can do and what God will do, but I have faith that what God will do is he will save me. I hope that you understand that God can destroy all things, that God can wipe out all things with a flood, that God can tear down people on, who are kings like David, and uh, God can divide nations for his purposes, uh, that God can restore people for his purposes. I hope that you understand what God is capable of doing, of overthrowing armies with a very limited amount of people, that God is capable of doing these things. I want you to know what God is able to do. Because that brings in awe and reverence. What does verse 29 say? That we would be thankful 
and that it would result in us being an acceptable uh, worship, and that it would be because we have fear, uh, godly fear, awe, and reverence in our life. We need to understand what God can do if we're going to really take his warning seriously. You know what I'm saying? We need to understand what God can do and what God will do if we're going to understand and understand what awe and reverence truly looks like. Because there might be somebody in here today that you're just like, man, I'm just afraid, man. I'm afraid for my kids. I'm afraid for myself. I'm afraid for all these things. I don't know what to rely on. Look, look at this. Not only does God promise to shake the earth and the heavens, the created things will be destroyed and heaven is coming, but he's given us an eternal promise from heaven that should cause a temporal change on earth. Let me again. God's given us an eternal promise in heaven that is coming so that we might have a temporal, temporary, like in this life transformation right now. And I love like, if you start to think about it, it's like, well, why... Why does God want to change? Like, why does God want to transform me? Why, why does God want to change me? Why can't I just be who I want to be and be saved, like by forgiveness? Why does God want me to change? You look back at Hebrews chapter twelve, verse twenty-eight. It says, "Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably." Have you ever read through Hebrews? Chapter 1 through 9, it's like God is our only sacrifice. He's the final sacrifice. There's no other sacrifice other than him. He's the only acceptable sacrifice. And you get to chapter 10, and it changes to how we ought to live in light of that sacrifice. And you get to chapter 12, and all of a sudden it says, now you've got to live an acceptable life to him. And I'm like, what? Or at least, how? Right? Like, I think our natural response to that sacrifice is like, how am I going to live acceptably? My only sacrifice I even have is Christ. Look at this. Look at what uh, Hosea, Hosea tells us, chapter 8, verse 13. Though they offer sacrificial gifts and eat the flesh, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their guilt and punish their sins, and they will return to Egypt. Amos 5.22, even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. And Malachi 1.10, I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that, no, so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies. And I will accept no offering from your hands. Man, that's where, like throughout Scripture, it, we were called to make sacrifices to, to cleanse us of sin, to purify us. Like, you're going to make a sacrifice, it's going to forgive you. You're going to make a sacrifice, it's going to forgive you. That's what happened in the Old Testament. They were doing things they shouldn't do. They would come before God and sacrifice, and then they would go to another God, and they'd make a sacrifice, and then they'd go to another God and make a sacrifice, and then they'd come back to Yahweh God, and they'd make a sacrifice, and they would go do whatever they wanted, and then they'd come back and make a sacrifice. Like, forgive me. And here's what's the problem with that. They'd make a sacrifice and not have any change. It was some form of faith without repentance. It's like, God, forgive me, but now I'm going to go just do whatever I want to do. And so Hebrews is, is, is preaching a, sim, a very similar message. It's like, God is your Jesus is your final sacrifice. He's given his son so that he might be your final sacrifice. You are completely forgiven. 
but he's also transforming. Think, think, think about it like this. I, I, I don't know about you, but like walking in the presence of God, as, as sinful as we are, walking in the presence of God is like, how could I ever be in the presence of God? How could I ever be in the presence of a God who is the creator of all things? Who hates sin, who is against wickedness, who uh, destroys sin and uh, has wiped out the earth because of sin. Like, how can I be in the presence of that kind of God? And then you go back to these passages and it's like, I am not pleased with you. I am not pleased with you. And I'm like, God is not pleased with us. I'm not pleased with you. Anybody walk in the, this room this morning and you're like, man, I don't, I don't even feel like God's pleased with me, man. Like, I, I, I shouldn't be here. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I can't be a leader here. I can't preach the gospel. I can't be in community. I'm not good enough. Anybody walk in the room this morning, like in here today, and you're like, I don't even know if I should be in church today. Maybe you've done something the past year and you're like, I don't, I don't feel like I can even be in this place right now. You might feel just like Malachi 1.10, you feel like God's just saying to you, I'm not pleased with you. I'm not pleased with you. And you feel like everybody's been saying, I'm not pleased with you. I don't like where you're going. I don't like who you are. I don't like what you do. I'm not pleased with you. You're like, man, maybe I'm just worthless. Maybe I'll never do what is good. Maybe I'll never do what is right. I am not pleased with you. When Jesus was born, he grew up. And one day, he goes to be baptized. And in Matthew 3, verse 17, it records, as he's being baptized, what his Father from heaven says. It says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's like, God, what do I do? You're in here today and you're like, I don't feel like God's pleased with me. And you look at this passage and you're like, the father is well pleased with his son. And now it's like, I, I don't, I actually don't have anything to offer my God. I don't have anything to put before him as a sacrifice to overcome all of my failures. I've got nothing. All I have to cling to is the cross. You can put anything you want on the, on the, on the altar. It's not going to be sufficient. You can bring anything up before God. It's like, look at all these good works I've done. Look at, look at who I've helped. Look at the relationships I've restored. Look at all these things, God. Look at what I've done. And no sacrifice you make is worthy. But it says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You know what I love about this? When you, when you believe in Christ as the only sacrifice that is worthy to be given to a God who is infinitely gracious and merciful yet wrathful, when you believe in that kind of truth and that kind of faith, what happens is not only is God pleased with the sacrifice, but now he's pleased with you. 
And I go back to Hebrews 12, and I'm like, okay, it says that I must serve God in an acceptable way. And I'm like, there's no way I can serve God in an acceptable way. He'll never be acceptable. Like, I'm never going to be acceptable to him. I'm never going to be worthy of being accepted by a God who is perfect. There's no way I, maybe Jesus, he's the one who's the beloved son. He's the one who's perfect, but not me. I'm never going to be acceptable to God because look at what I do. And you might have walked in here today and felt that way, but here's what God is doing. And this is why Christianity is so transformative. And this is why it's so different than many other religions is what we're saying is this is Jesus is the only sacrifice that can forgive us. But in God's infinite grace, he not only gave us a sacrifice to forgive us, but he poured out his spirit in us to make us as a pleasing and acceptable gift to God, as an acceptable, pleasing form of worship. Like I can gift to God, bless God, worship God through the way that I live because the sacrifice made a way that the spirit would be poured out in my heart. And now God sees me as acceptable. And when you walked in this room today, you might have felt like, There's, I'm just worthless. And here's what you need to know today. Here's what you need to know. Christ didn't die on the cross so that you could feel worthless. Christ died on the cross so that his spirit might be poured out upon you so that you might go, no, 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 I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed by God. I've been saved by God. He loves me. Do you, did you, you feel right now in this moment like God loves you? I want you to know God cares for you and he loves you. He's not finished with you. You are worth his death. You are worth his suffering. You are worth his temptation. You're worth it all. And so you go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and you look at this shaking. It's like he's shaking up all these created things and he's destroying all these created things. But there's a warning that heaven is coming. But not only is there a warning, there's a promise. So heaven is coming. It's going to come. Things are going to be destroyed. But God has provided a way out of that destruction. And now you can go, okay, I don't have to fear the destruction that is coming because I can have faith that my God will save me. doesn't mean that we don't have reverence and awe for the fact that God is going to destroy all things. We need to understand what God is capable of doing. Let me put it like this. You're walking down the street. I'm not going to use a Marvel reference again. Um, but you're walking down the street and you got like the strongest man besides, besides uh, Ryan. I don't know where he is right now, but besides Ryan who I baptized. Uh, you're walking down the street and you got the strongest man in the world beside you, right? And he's like, he's just like huge. He's got all the defensive equipment you would need uh, on him, and he's like ready to defend you. And here's the thing, he loves you. And he wants to protect you. And then you're walking down the street, and you got the same guy, huge, strong, ready to fight, trained to fight. He's got all defense in the world with him, but he hates you. And he wants to destroy you. We need to understand what God is capable of doing. But we also need to understand that God has chosen to save you. When you're walking down the street with somebody like that, you don't have fear of what is around you. You're not going to be like, oh, somebody could come up and hurt me. No, no, no. You've got somebody beside you that's going to protect you, and he loves you, and he cares about you. You don't fear them. You're not worried about what they're going to do to you. You're thankful that they're going to protect you. You know what they can do, but you're not afraid of what they're going to do to you. You're going to have respect. You're going to have a reverence for that individual. You need to understand what they're capable of. 
in the same way in your Christian life, we've got to understand what God is capable of doing, and we've got to be thankful for what God is doing. That he is capable of wiping each one of us out, and that we are fully deserving of it, but yet God has chosen to take death upon himself rather than me. You think about that? We are fully deserving of death, and yet God chose it instead of us. We need to understand the reverence and the awe and be thankful for the grace and mercy. And so when we look at that and you put that all together, it's like, man, God is our sacrifice. He is the sacrifice that we need, the final sacrifice. But because of that, he's poured out his spirit. And so now we're acceptable. Now you have an acceptable sacrifice and an acceptable son. Have you thought about that? When you come to worship God, do you think about like, I'm worshiping you for what you've done, but you also love me for who I am? It's amazing. He's not just well pleased with the sacrifice, like he's now pleased with me as his son and you as his daughter or son. He's pleased with you. He loves you. He cares about you. And so this morning, I I hope that you will walk away with confidence in what God is doing in your life, that he loves you and he cares about you, and as things in this world are destroyed and as heaven is coming, we have a warning and a promise, and today you can choose to respond to that warning or you can continue to live in the way you once lived. You can choose to respond to that warning and find confidence in what God is going to do, or you can not respond to that warning and find fear in what God is going to do, whether now or later when he comes back and you find out this is in fact what he's going to do. There's going to be fear in your life. There's going to be destruction in your life. There's going to be pain and suffering. Or right now today you can say, I believe that God is doing these these things in this world. I believe that God is doing these things in my life. I believe that destruction is coming for things on earth, nations, sea, dry land. All those things are being destroyed. But God has promised me salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And with that, I can have hope and confidence and not unhealthy, ungodly fear. Today, I want you to know that God is capable of destroying the earth with a flood. And yet he chose to save you through a cross. I want you to know that our God is an all-consuming fire, as it says at the end of this passage, and yet he's not chosen to consume you, but rather to give his son as a sacrifice for you. I hope that you'll refocus your life around an internal perspective that says, because of what God is going to do, I'm going to change the way that I'm going to live now that you'll recognize that that sacrifice that you give as Jesus Christ, you don't walk away and go, okay, now I can go do whatever I want and then bring back Jesus as another sacrifice and then go do what I want and then bring back Jesus as a sacrifice. No, as you sacrifice, Jesus is pleased with you. Jesus is pleased with the sacrifice. He's pleased with you. Romans 12.1, Therefore, our brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's like, how could I be pleasing? How can this sacrifice of my worship and my praise, how can this sacrifice of my service and my friendships and my marriage, how can these things be acceptable and pleasing to God? Because my sacrifice has poured his spirit out in my life and it's transformed me and my God loves me and my God cares about me.
And so this morning, I hope that you walk away knowing that God has saved you, he's forgiven you, and he's freed you, and he is pleased with you. If you aren't living in a life that recognizes that Jesus is your only Savior, and you believe by faith, uh, by grace through faith, that he will save you, I urge you to believe the warnings in this book. I urge you to believe that there is destruction coming, that God promises that destruction is coming, but today he's offered hope for you through his son, Jesus Christ. And this morning as the band comes, I want to remind you of, like, just be thinking on this. If God is an all-consuming fire, if God wants our worship and our praise, and he longs for our worship and our praise, and he's pleased with our worship and our praise, we should live knowing what he is capable of doing and what he has done. We should live knowing that he can flood the earth, but yet he chose to give up his son for you. We should live knowing that our failure is not the end, that our fears are not the end, that our sin is not the end of the story, that destruction is not the end of the story, but that through Christ he has promised hope. And so this morning I'll give you two gospel responses, ways to respond to this gospel message that Jesus Christ lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I should have died, and raised from the dead so that I can have life. Response to the Jesus Christ being the offering that I should have been, the death that I should have been. Knowing that, as my professor said, Dr. Pemberton, she discipled me. I love her. I'm thankful for what she said to me in, in college at Washita when she looked at me and she said, Matt, you know the thing about spiritual sacrifices is? living sacrifices, they can get up off the altar. God hasn't called you to be a sacrifice of death. He's called to be a living sacrifice. And as we are a living sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to him, we've got to figure out how do I live and be pleasing to God? And all we've got is the sacrifice of Jesus and the Spirit working in us. It's more than enough. If you feel depleted of energy, if you feel defeated by your fears and failures, if you feel like you've got nothing else, I want to remind you what's on the altar for you. And I want to remind you what's living in you. God is with you. He loves you. He cares about you. And so your gospel response is this morning. First, would you live your life recognizing fear and uh, reverence and awe in front of God? Godly fear. Not that unhealthy, ungodly fear like, what is God going to do? But that reverence and awe like, I know what God is capable of doing, but I have hope that he is saving me. And today, maybe you, it looks like you need to come up here this morning. You need to, I talked to one of our pastors. Maybe you just need to come down to the altar and lay it before him. And you, maybe you just need to be honest and just say, man, there are so many things in my life that are that are." that are clouding out God's declaration that I'm his child. Maybe you just need to come forward and just be like, man, I've got so much sin in my life that I've been living uh, by that has clouded what God has done for me. Maybe you just need to come forward and say, I've never believed in this sacrifice. Or maybe you've had broken relationships and, and uh, uh, broken marriages, broken um, uh, relationships with children. Maybe you have sin in your life uh, that you have not shared. And you just feel like today, you're just sitting there today like, 
I'm just a failure, man. I'm unacceptable to God. Look, if you are right now, as I say those words, if you're just like, your heart, like you're trying not to act like things are messing with you right now, you're trying not, you're holding back tears, or you're wrestling with something, if you're wrestling, don't. Man, don't feel alone. Seriously, don't walk out of here. Like, don't try to do this by yourself. You, you, we can't do this without the Spirit, and we can't do this without God's people who's put around us for this purpose. Don't walk out of here feeling worthless and acceptable. Man, respond to the warnings that God has given you. Turn away from the junk of this world. It's dying anyways. It's falling away. It's going to be destroyed. It's not a good idol for you. It's not pleased with you. It wants you to please it. Give it up. The warnings are clear. Give it up. And then finally, if you've been tracking with us in this Haggai series, we asked you to look at things that are going on in your life and ask, are you complacent or are you content? Are you complacent with the things in your life? Or are you content? So list out what you do and what you have and ask yourself, am I, am I complacent with these things like the people in Haggai chapter one? Or am I content? Like this is what God wants for me. It's good for me and I'm thankful for it. And if you went through that and marked out like I'm complacent or content, maybe there's some things in your life you just need to write beside it like wicked. Like this isn't, this isn't something I should be complacent or content with. I just need to kick it out of my life. Like this is not good for me at all. It's not from God. It's not something that could be turned into something good for God. It's wicked. I need to get rid of it. Maybe there's some of those things. But I want you to look at those things in your life and I want you to ask yourself the question, do you recognize that they're gods? And have you given healthy reverence and awe towards those things? Here's what I mean. God can give and take away, and God has given you those things anyways. Do you recognize that God is destroying all these temporal things? And if you said, God, this is yours, you can give or take away. Have you respected God in the way of saying, like, this is yours anyways. This is not mine. I don't have this and possess this as if, as if something that you can't take away. This is yours. I mean, I don't know that we can find contentment without first recognizing that everything is God's anyways. But let me tell you something. This, is, this has helped me. This has helped me. Sprawled out on the ground, my praying time, in my office, uh, in times of frustration and struggle, just kind of clinging to this and, and, and just proclaiming it out to God is this. Just say this over and over. I don't want more. I don't want anything more than you give me. And I don't want anything less than you promise me. I don't want anything more than you've given me. And I don't want anything less than you promise me. to the God who can give and take away, to the God who is a consuming fire, and to the God who is well pleased with you because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in your life. And so I hope this morning you will not leave today feeling unworthy, unacceptable, like a failure, like you're too far gone, it's too late. I hope this morning you'll give everything over to God because he will forgive you and in his infinite grace not only be well pleased with the sacrifice but well pleased with you. And that's some kind of grace. It's a good God. Let me pray for you. God, you are so gracious and good. You're so loving and merciful. You have chosen to give us more than we ever 
should have deserved. You've promised us more than we could have ever imagined. And God, I pray that you would give us contentment in what you've given us, that we would trust what you promise us. I pray, God, that as things on this earth are destroyed and wiped away and fade away, that we will remember your eternal goodness. We'll remember your eternal plan. I pray, God, that you would create a godly fear and reverence and awe in our hearts for what you can do, but knowing, God, what you will do in saving us from that destruction. So, God, would you work in this place right now? As your presence is moving in this place, God, would you work in our hearts to declare who we are as your sons and daughters? And I pray, Father, as each one of us move closer and closer to eternity, that you'll welcome us in with good words of well done, good and faithful servant. Having been declared as acceptable to you. God, would you give us hope, strength, faith? Would you give us reverence and all? We trust you and we praise you in your son's name. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.